I believe okay. that's something of a record for Frankenstein chat. Is it? I think there, yeah, I think there is only one other guest who's appeared three times on the show. Is that so, Mike? Yes, Mike Rotherham. So, so congratulations on the on matching Mike. Um, but anyway, uh, thanks for joining us. Um, You're very welcome. Before we'll go to Stan, and then we'll allow you a chance to introduce yourself to those who've not met you before. So, how are you, Stan? Uh, okay, apart from having a, a bad back, which is a, a long-term thing, but I've done something, twisted it, or put me back to square one now, so I'm not sleeping well at the moment. Oh, oh it's that bad? Yeah, it's uh, <sighs> it, it's one of those where you turn over and it wakes you up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, Lucy, um, do you want to do a little intro, who you are and sort of stuff you get up to and how you know Stan? Yes, so I'm Lucy Truman. I'm the Managing Director of Truman Change. We're a, a small management consultancy based in the Northwest, and we specialise in helping public sector organisations to to do change well and, and really make a difference. Um, I, But also, as well as that, I'm currently stepping back a little bit from that because I'm a full-time student at the University of Birkbeck doing a Master's in Organisational Psychology, which is putting me in a really lovely geeky headspace of <laughs> instead of running around and rushing and running a business I'm now getting to really think about stuff which feels like a, a, a very happy luxury and um, but I've known Stan for a number of years so we used to work together Stan was my manager I don't even know many years ago I mean I've had to uh, change nine years so it 2006 I think it was oh gosh um, so I worked for Stan for five years in a traded service in Lancashire Council, where um, I was the sort of cold-hearted person that didn't <laughs> like children. Helping <laughs> 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 to turn an education service into a profit-making service, <laughs> so we had lots of professional tension, I would say. Surplus-making. We weren't allowed to make a profit, but we could make a <laughs> Well, that, that's a true cooperative business. They don't talk about profit. Uh, they, uh, Lucy, I'm interested in um, why a, a master's degree now, you know, when in fact the business, you know, uh, in a sense, business, uh, I suspect the uh, sort of public sector are going through significant change and that must put a great deal of demand on, on your time and, and your business. So why now? I think I think COVID was a real reset for me. And um, the thing that I found, so as you know, I've spoken on previous podcasts, I mm. lost my dad to COVID right at the start of the pandemic. And, and then really I had time because of everything going on hold, all sort of established change programs went on hold during the pandemic for our clients. So I had quite a significant amount of headspace at that time to really think about why public sector organizations were able to make change happen so quickly as a result of COVID, whereas traditionally, you know, using the whole project and change management methodology didn't, you know, things were, it was normal to have a four-year transformation program that didn't really come to anything. So I think that put me in quite an academic geeky headspace of really thinking about and understanding. And then as a result of that work, 
we then won quite a lot of work because people were really interested in this let's think about doing change differently going forward after covid so the business has grown quite a lot in the last 18 months two years got a really good established team now and i and i just feel like i want to continue that intellectual challenge of well how do you actually do this really well um so it just felt like the right time the business is doing well enough for me to step back and and i enjoy being in that kind of thoughtful space i think is i feel very privileged to be able to do it at this point in my career yeah uh the i mean not declaring who these groups or organizations are but is there a sort of sense that the pandemic and all that was happening particularly around say health social care education um where it was very rapid there was probably very very little structure but sort of just doing things on the hoof is there a, um has has that reset enough and has that sort of embedded itself enough for it to yeah. be for its community or have people simply just reverted back to the way they used to do it before i would say it's a mix um so some have some are kind of reverting i wouldn't say fully reverted back um the dip the challenge in local government which is where a lot of our work is is that it's a very highly regulated sector mm. and there were legal changes during the pandemic that allowed the shedding of that some of that bureaucracy and some of that governance and the things that tend to slow things down which now have been reinstated again so it's not it's not possible to do things exactly how they were done during the pandemic. What has stayed is that understanding of how important partnership working is. So Mm. we're doing different types of work with different organizations, but we're doing a lot of work around community co-design. We're doing a lot of work in partnership spaces. And what I've noticed is, you know, four years ago when we were doing work in partnership spaces, people were getting stuck in conversations of, well, what budget is this this coming from? Whereas now there is more of a, a just a better quality of relationship where people are trying to get to better outcomes but there is a a default back to that comfort zone and some of the bureaucracy and change is not because of the legislation it's because of comfort zones it's because of culture Mm. and it's because it's scary making decisions and it's scary making decisions around change it's safer to keep things as they are um but i'm really positive about it and I, I do see an increase in more genuine, authentic, human-based conversations. Um, but it is mixed, and you do see across different organisations, some are very quick to revert back, whereas some are really fighting the urge to. But it's just such a unique point in time, and I've noticed even in my Master's, a lot of the stuff that we, that I'm reading about is still like three or four years old, and actually normally that's not that old, but yeah. at this point in time, three or four years old feels like a century ago. So <laughs> it's, it's a very exciting time, I think, to be really critically looking at leadership and leadership of change. Um, so yeah, I wanted to just devote the time to it, and I was going to do it part time, but then I thought it'll become a chore. You'll be fitting yeah. it in around work. If you flip that, then it will become the priority. It's not working. Yeah. Well, and I'm always behind in reading. <laughs> did you did you have much choice? Birkbeck, you know, did you actually shop around or was there a connection I with Birkbeck? I did shop around. Um, the connection with Birkbeck for me was that they seem very well set up for 
older students that are juggling work um it's done predominantly remotely but i go to london for weekends every few weeks so you still get some face-to-face element i love london as a city i'm always happy to spend time there um, and they are very well respected in terms of organizational psychology specifically so yeah it seemed it seemed like a good fit <laughs> one of the first modules i'm doing is on organizational change and I did think this is either going to be really awesome or really awful. Um, and it's been brilliant. I've really oh, wow. enjoyed it. It's really validated a lot of my instincts that I've always had that the change management methodologies that we use are not really not really as effective as we like to think they are. Um, so, yeah, it's it's quite rich, the material that I'm reading, which is lovely. Right. Oh, I think you, you're back on the, you know, if it doesn't change the culture, it doesn't actually change anything. People no. just, just. I think I said this the last week or the week before. There's, there's passive resistance to, to change, and you just sit it out, <laughs> and you knowing that eventually they'll give up. If, if I just sit quietly, keep my head down, you know, it, we'll get back to the way we've it'll always. Go. Yeah, it will go. Away. Because the it way works. we've always done things has always worked for me. That, that's the difficult one to shift. Yeah. I think it was interesting we had a guest, uh, Kevin Turner, who's the artistic director of Company Chameleon, a contemporary dance company, uh, a young man, sort of probably in his early 30s. But he spoke about having set up a, a new dance uh, setup in, I can't I think it was Harper Hay, but it, a certain an area of Manchester. Uh, and he said that he felt as though it was strong enough, the culture had developed st- sufficiently for him not to have to be there in order to maintain it, you know? And and he, he was then off, offline when I spoke to him, he was saying how that's a little bit scary at times as well, because then you're testing always as to whether or not how well embedded is it, you know, and actually how quickly would it fall away, you know? But of course, you've got to leave it a little while each time, leaving it a little bit longer to see how far it will stand and then actually be able to step in and do something about it. And Frank, there's always that little bit in the back of your head that says, I hope it doesn't run perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) But actually that's, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because we're going to do this in a slightly different order here because, well, I know that you mentioning before though, uh, Lucy, about your sort of masters and about, you know, that you're doing some work on leadership And it's made you think quite carefully about that leadership and who provides it. Um, Do you want to sort of cover that now? Because it seems a good time as it's part of the discussion to to bring you in on that. Yeah, so I've been reading only in the last couple of days, um, a very critical view of the concept of leadership and how in, in recent years we've developed this concept of leadership that's very, very fundamentally based around individual characters. So at an academic level, people have studied what traits leaders have, but even in like the media, we all know who the big famous sort of Richard Branson, Elon Musk, you know, and we've created this almost hero complex and you see it in organizations where when they're in trouble they get a new leader in or a new chief executive and that person is going to lead us out of this trouble and I the research now is trying to focus a bit more on is it really about a body is it about a person and their attributes and skills or is it much more socially constructed and much more contextual than that and actually maybe made up of of 
more than one person, a few people, but also is made up of things that aren't people. So one example in a paper I read recently, I can't remember which company it was, it might have been IBM, but that sort of big, massive company. And the the leader or chief exec turned up at a site and this um, part-time security guard who was in her second week of the job refused to let him in because he had the wrong colour badge. And there was this big, you know, who it, do you know yeah. who this person is? And she was like, but he's not got the right colour badge. And he was fine and was like, we'll get the right colour badge. But that's an example of how it was an inanimate object that in that particular situation held great power. And there's something about looking at a web. So there's a, a theory called actor network theory, which is where you are looking at a combination of these inanimate objects, people, relationships, groups, stakeholders, and you almost draw a map of how things get done in an organization, which really aligns with some of the culture mapping work that we do in my business. And that I know Stan is a big fan of where you go into organizations and look at the habits and the rituals and the symbols. So it feels like that is a much more it's much more difficult to study because wouldn't it be nicer to be able to find <laughs> traits you know <laughs> yeah, they've all got these traits yeah. and we can train people in these things so it's much more difficult to kind of get your hands on but it feels much more intuitively right to me and, I, and not only does it feel right it, there's there's a danger to this hero complex and sometimes somebody can be a very good leader in that they take an organization into a direction very strongly but actually it was the wrong thing to do and it was about that person I, I read a quote recently about transformational leadership which a lot of people really love saying was Hitler a transformational leader you know did he lead big groups of people into something and actually do a good job of leading them into something so this whole thing of attaching it to one person can, in some circumstances, be incredibly toxic. And I think as leaders in organisations, so I'm obviously straddling this world of academia, but also consultancy and helping organisations, you've really got to think about, do you really want to pin your hopes on one individual or, or do we need to look at this kind of mapping of where is leadership actually a space, not a person? And that's oh, that's kind of what's on my mind wow. today. Education. If you speak to me next week, it'll be slightly <laughs> different. Education have jumped on that in the past, and we've had superheads who who have successfully run one school, and therefore will be able to be dropped into school B and sort it all out because they've done it before. I, I can't recall anything that that happened that worked in in that model. You know, they may have done okay, but there was certainly nothing that said this is the working model, we'll move it forward. And yet every now and again, we, we seem to be moving back towards that, that there are these super head teachers who can who can just make schools work really well. And it misses the fact that it's about a culture. And maybe there are people who can define a culture and create a culture um, but actually, the leadership then comes from within. Mm -hmm. and, and I was saying before we went on there, you know, you have to find out where the leadership lies in an organisation. And it doesn't have to be with the most senior person. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, I, I, somebody I work with now, I can remember her as a very, very effective deputy running a school that was running really well, despite the the leader at the top. Yeah, it's very interesting because this morning um, I did a briefing for some CEOs of some Art Academy Trusts on 
summary valuations that have been undertaken by Ofsted um, about five. They've only done five of these um, trusts, these evaluations. But there is a sort of you, it, when you read the reports, you can get a feel for the expectation that the CEO is the one who creates the sort of um, the approach to behaviour is driven by what they pick up on when they go and visit a school. You know, so in a sense, they're saying that these responsibilities cannot be delegated. And I, 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 put, I, I stress that only not that I believe it, but actually that's what the thinking is, you know, within the way that these reports are written. And, and in a way, I, I go back to my, the very first inspection. I remember uh, a small school in Cheshire speaking to the head teacher got a, a fantastic grade and he said uh, I said well how did you do it he said I never forgot the fact he said I'm not the greatest leader but I don't do professional development particularly well but I'm a bloody good maths teacher and I've never forgotten that and he said in a small school like ours I can have a massive impact on a lot of children by teaching them really well and it sort of really struck me about oh hang on a minute there's a different way of looking at this this isn't about a policy, is it? Or about, you know, doing a good staff meeting or whatever. There's something a bit deeper, a bit richer in that sort of, uh, that that leadership title yeah. that works for some that might not work for others. Well, you could you could argue that the, the role of, you know, a successful leader is creating that network yeah. and creating that culture where people feel that they can, I mean, the, the research that... Uh, underpins uh, the work we've done with Spotlight and with Mike and, and, and Mark is all about everybody contributing, everyone feeling that they can contribute without being judged. Um, and you've got to facilitate that. It doesn't just happen. And it, it's not a case of just sitting there around a table and say, well, you, you can all say what you think. It's it's about whether they're valued. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of play, a lot of, places I've visited where senior people didn't have that value that they placed on people lower down the organization and even when Lucy and I worked together there was a a sort of rift between a a, a level that was paid higher than than a lower level and Mm. you know the the treatment between the two was just wasn't pleasant. Mm. Do you think though that um, how long does it how how long does it take to work out either through talking to a senior leader or actually visiting an uh, a, a a business or an institution how, how long does it take to get a feel for you know that sort of the complexity of that leadership you know that actually this is about that person you know the way that they speak the way that they project themselves the way that their you know those ideas are, are promoted uh, as as opposed to those where it's a sort of slightly more, not I wouldn't say delegated, but it's a a more collegiate sort of approach. How long does it take to to work that out? I personally don't think it takes very long. No, I, um, I don't know if I'm naive in that. But... Well, I'm glad you said that, Lucy, because I was thinking, <laughs> well, if you're going to say it takes weeks, and I'm thinking you can walk into a place. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> well, I, I, I asked the question because I, I know what I think the answer is for me anyway. But anyway, go on. Um, we, we do something called culture mapping as an organization where we go in, we'll run, you know, maybe half a dozen workshops. And these, this is for organizations that are pretty big. 
with staff where we walk through different elements of culture and we very quickly can produce a very in-depth report that says this is where your blockers are. But the other thing that I've been reflecting on as a result of this is, you know, we, we spend a lot of time and energy talking about the difference between leadership and management. And if what we're saying is leadership is in fact a network of different objects and people, then is that is that definition of leadership versus management actually helpful? Because yeah. a lot of elements of leadership, if you look at it through that lens that it's a network, will be how things are managed. managed. What security badges, what colour is how things are managed? And I, I think that there's something about that distinction that, again, creates a little bit. We can say all we want that both are important, but it somehow creates a little bit of a hierarchy that leadership yeah. is sexier. That's and, exactly and it, Lucy. And that's what's that happened thing. over the last... 10 15 years that leadership is now the th- if you look in education if you look at courses cpd for for people who are aspiring to be head teachers it's all leadership try and find a course on management not sexy enough mm-hmm. and yet leaders and managers in my view are the same people yeah <laughs> they have to have both skill sets something some are not good at one and and better at the other um and then, again, my view then is you find people to work with you who've got strengths where you've got weaknesses yeah. because that's the only way you work together as a group. I heard, a CEO, I heard a CEO this week um, and I visited their head office and there was a complete alignment between the culture that I... I, I went into their offices first and I, and I met this person just by chance and I was really struck by how at ease she was and how others were at ease in her company. And it was, um, you know, a genuine sort of desire to learn more from her staff, you know, the, to better understand not just them as an individual, but the difficulties they're facing. And, and actually there was a real sense of they felt open and actually, and this actual structure of the building was great. You know, it was, it was a digital business. It was all very much quite relaxed, but you could a real sense of effort in, in the building. Hearing her this week, you know, it just aligned, you know, that the whole, the way she expressed, you know, what that company is trying to achieve and how it's doing it with, with its staff. You know, there was no, there was no falseness about it. This was, this was reality. You know, this is sort of like her as a human being how she best performs and actually she's trying to sort of like enable to surround herself with other people that in effect see it that way you know because actually i do think there's a struggle here for those who 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 perhaps do do have a slightly different approach to what leadership is you know um and there's a got a feeling a little bit about selecting people that you knew would fit into that culture it uh, you know I, I was really struck by it this week. She was amazing. It's about talent spotting, and mm. and I mean, I, I think when I when I've been in organisations where I've been successfully leading, it's been about spotting the people who are going to make things work and who think maybe in the same way that I think, but often somebody who thinks very differently, somebody who brings a bit of challenge into it. Somebody who, who maybe you don't really like, 
uh, and, and bringing them down. Is that what I was, Dan? What? <laughs> Is that what I was? <laughs> I think you were only temporary when you came. Yeah, that was, it was a three-month contract when I started. Three-month contract. Five years I was there. So why did you take the job, Lucy? Honestly, working you for You should staff. be asking me why I got yeah. the job. <laughs> and that um, was, I'll tell you what that was, because I had something like two weeks of every day. Are you going to give me this job? Oh, really? That was the permanent bit. The yeah. the original temporary bit, um, honestly, I did not know what I wanted to do. So I had, I was talking about this um, night before last, actually, with a recruiter. Um, I left a job in the police because I couldn't really see a career structure there. And I took a job in a recruitment agency and I quit on my second day because they told me that I had to wear tights. And I was just like, I'm not working anywhere. <laughs> Tell me what I have to wear. So I walked out and then didn't know what I wanted. So saw a temporary three-month job applied at the um, advertised at the local council. But do you know what? I don't think I've ever told you this, Stan, but I found out after my dad had died from my uncle a story that my dad had never told me that he once quit a job in his first week because somebody told him he had to wear a tie. So it's clearly a, a hereditary <laughs> attitude problem that I have. Stan, you were... Uh, what's caught your eye this week is very much well, along that, isn't it? it yeah, it's, it's not about uh, wearing ties, but it's a little bit of research that's been done by Impact Head on uh, well-being and looking at what people would expect, maybe well-being in schools for staff, which would be about shorter hours and lower workloads and things. And, and whereas they are important, what they found out is the greatest correlation is where leadership and management is respected. So, you know, it's about, I, I would say straight away, it's about culture, wouldn't it? But it <laughs> it's about being being valued and valuing the leadership that's in the school. And that then, being happy in my work, it makes, yeah. makes a bigger difference than cutting my workload by a little bit or giving me a, a day off a year to go Christmas shopping or buying chocolates for the staff room. I mean, an interesting challenge of that is, is that real, that, that leadership and, you know, would make a, a difference? Or it, does that prove the point that we've just argued, that this yeah. kind of hero complex is so embedded in our culture professionally that people are feeling that they need that hero? And actually, if they turned inwards and thought, no, regardless of who's at the top, we can create a better school, we can create a better working environment i suppose it, it depends how those people who are asked what what makes this work for you yeah if they say it's the leadership they might not be talking about a mm -hmm. hero yeah. leader they might be talking about how we all work together mm. leads what what gets me about leadership and i've had this conversation before especially in education when frank and i did our first inspections a long time ago 1995 um, yeah, leadership wasn't it. Well, leadership was only in the whole framework, which is a massive tome once. And it was about the governors. Did the governors provide strategic leadership? The aspect for head teachers came under the heading of uh, management and administration. Mm. Administration's never mentioned now, is it? No. Well, like finance, that's never mentioned, but that's another story. But the thing is also... But, but leadership group, my, this is a personal yeah. view, I have no evidence at all, but le what they found out is in schools that had good results, 
they said, you know, it's a good school. It must have good leader. So leadership scored highly in schools that were good. And then, believing their own data, they started to say, well, yeah. if leadership's good, then the school must be good. So it's leadership that we need to develop, and it's, yeah. it's these yeah. leaders. Not, let's really look at what's making successful schools work. And, and that, in some that cases, led... they are figurehead. They yeah. are figurehead leaders, but it's how they manage and develop and work with the other people in, in the team or in the school. It's quite interesting, though, isn't it, about if you have a, a leader that is sort of, um, cre well, creates a sort of leadership approach similar to what you described, um, Lucy, which is about, it's much more complex. It's, it's uh, some of it's based on sort of patronage even, you know, um, but actually uh, for a board looking for a new leader, you know, they really do need to understand, don't they? what type of leadership they've got now because yeah. actually that's starting to challenge them or probably they need to challenge themselves as to well what's our understanding of what leadership is you know um because if not you could be you know in effect ditching a lot of fantastic stuff simply because you've got a very narrow view of what leadership is i, um, I think you can relate that to where's you know i said before you need to find out where the leadership lies you also need to lie at, find out where the culture lies, the, the culture drivers. So if you're in a school that's not operating very well, you need to find out where it, mm. the cliques in the school, the cliques in the organisation that are retaining a culture that suits them, even though it damages the organisation as a whole. Yeah. And you need to find that and, and fix it or, or, or walk away from it. <laughs> it's, it's very it's, it's very hard to, to change I, you know i can think of a number of what you would describe as really good head teachers going into schools that needed change and being unable to do it uh, because the culture was such that we've seen them come and go you know that that yeah. approach mm. yeah I, I do think that um it is in answer, going back to your question, can you can you figure it out pretty quickly? I think you can figure it out pretty quickly with the caveat of if you know what you're looking for. And oh, yeah. interestingly, I do sometimes say in organisations when I'm running workshops and so on, that, and I'm asking them to describe the organisation, I actually forbid them for using the words which we're using now because... When people describe we need more leadership, they mean something that they don't really necessarily quantify and it's up here. And often when people are saying that the culture needs to change, again, they don't really know what they mean. They mean something over here. Mm -hmm. They never mean anything here. So I think it's about having and whatever we use one by somebody called Taylor. I know um, Edgar Shine has, has done one. There's loads of different versions of culture mapping, but really understanding what you're looking for enables you to identify those blockers. And that's a big part of the work for us is what in your culture is actually holding back change. And sometimes it's something really ridiculous. So we had a, a council where they wanted to make sure that their staff, their managers and leaders were more agile and less sort of, you know, empire building. And it turned out that in their job, sort of um i forgot what they call it a job evaluation process where they score your job the more staff you manage the more you got paid uh, so something that's really quite small and innocuous and is just a policy decision is driving and it's a yeah. big driver this behavior of i must get a bigger team and yet you're saying you want them to not behave that way so sometimes it's something really 
sort of things that are overlooked because they're so embedded in an organization. But I am conscious and I did just want to make the point that we can all talk about leadership and culture, but it is getting that clarity and, and yeah. almost doing it through a much more practical language. So, you know, asking questions like what systems get in the way is a better right. question than asking what's your culture like? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. people don't know what that means. Do they find that you find that they also revert back to individuals as opposed to systems? You know, the, yeah. the system's fine, but it's actually him or her that's the problem. That's yeah. also quite a simple sort of approach to it, though, isn't it? It's sort of like get rid of that blockage and then suddenly everything's going to be fine, which it very rarely is, you know what I mean? And systems are systems. Mm. I always find it's it's never the system that's at fault. It's the people who are managing the system <laughs> where the fault lies. I mean, it's it's most systems are developed to be efficient. And the thing yeah. that stop it are the people who don't want it to work in the yeah. way that it does work because yeah. for personal or gain or advantage. Well, yeah. uh, uh, the it's interesting before you were mentioning the word leadership and trying to do work that you're not, you know, where you're not allowed to use that word. So you've got to sort of find a, a different sort of narrative around it. Um, but this week I attended the Great Northern Conference at UA92. And uh, I'd, I'd recommend anybody watching this to if you get a chance to go and see ua 92 the um, new university right next to lancashire cricket ground um which is actually focusing in on uh young people who probably wouldn't normally go to university so the, the, the these students are getting their their travel to the to the site they're not on a fixed timetable so they can actually the timetables are set up so that they can actually work so, you know, there's a lot of flexibility. Interestingly, they do everything on a modular basis, which, you know, bearing in mind where we've been stand with GCSEs and A-levels where you've all got to sit in a room. But what was most refreshing um, was uh, the whole morning we had senior business leaders, all of them freely using the word skills. Mm. And for Stan and I in education, skills has become a bit of a dirty word. Uh and something that you're not really allowed to use. And and in effect, it's become education and skills, as if skills is not part of a decent education. You know, it's edu it's a sort of tagged on at the end of education. You know, something that happens when you've done your GCSEs or yeah. you've done your A-levels, then yeah. we'll start addressing the skills. If you, can't, if you can't learn the subject, maybe you'll have some skills that you can use elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. If you, if you don't if you don't manage the academic side but here we've got major businesses international businesses ceos of those businesses you know crying out for a, a a more mature dialogue with education leaders not with government but with education leaders um because actually i think there is a sort of narrative here where actually the government feels a little bit closed in on this argument but actually, when I was listening to it, there, were, there was only one other, one head teacher in the room of about 300. Or everybody else was from a business background. But, it, oh, gosh, if only the head teachers had been in the room to hear what change is needed in order to deliver a growing economy for the UK. It was there, you know. And, and I think it's a feeling that head teachers have got the capacity have, I'm not sure they've got the capacity, but they, they have got the uh, that they, they, they've got encouragement from business to do things differently. If only they could get a sense of that, you know, 
I think they feel closed in by government, closed in by regulation, closed in by inspection, closed in by assessment, that the things that need to happen are not happening. And, and the, the impact is business is suffering. You know, yeah, so... I mean well, speaking as a business owner, I would definitely, definitely echo that. And, you know, to me, I don't want to sound derogatory, but knowledge is cheap. It, you know, it's so fast to get knowledge. It's so easy to get it. It's accessible. I would absolutely prioritize somebody's values, their attitude, their skills, their ability to learn quickly. Far over, I have a qualification in project management. Far over. And I have seen in lots of situations um, people with knowledge of how to do change and actually crash and burn when they hit the ground. Yeah. No disrespect to your, here's a, here's a woman studying a master's, uh, you know. Yeah, and actually, I'm loving it. It, 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 feels like... it means nothing, does it? It's no. not going to make, in itself, it's not going to make your business better. It will have an impact on you. It's how you use that, isn't it? Yeah. In your business setting. Yeah. Um, it just made me think, frankly, and, and Lucy would say and all that about collecting knowledge. This, this is a story from a long time ago when CPD was free and teachers went out. And I remember recruiting and seeing this teacher's CV, which was absolutely stunning, the number of courses uh, and studies they'd done. And I rang the head to say, well, this is a fantastic uh, CV. But, and he said, yeah, he said, I have to be honest with you. It's because we get him out of the school as often as we can. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely hopeless. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, believe it or not, we're nearly at 40 minutes and we generally only do about 35. But should we get on to Room 101? What are you going to put in Room 101, Lucy? I'm going to put into Room 101 overly simplistic um, change management models because I've always hated them. And, and I was really nervous about the change management module in my master's. And it turns out that actually academically people hate them too. And, I, <laughs> and, I, and so that was very validating. Um, but there is a lot, and I won't name names. You'll all have heard of particular change management methodology where there's a number of steps. There's different numbers of steps uh, with different ones. And I'm guilty of this. I've trained people in them. Mm. But I think that there's something about it where it is basically all about control rather than change. It is methodologies where um, it enables leaders and managers to feel a sense of control over a process that's fundamentally not real change really happens when people want to make change happen and it doesn't happen in a perfect order does that when you throw in that in room 101 does that graph go in that i hate is that part of it yeah. which is the, the graph the, the, well, it's not really a graph <laughs> it's a diagram they put on the, the change thing where you go through all these various things you come up the other side and one, I've never seen anybody at that. So I've never seen <laughs> get to that point. But if you did, the people that they must ask to survey are the ones that have been through it successfully. So they're bound to be smiling. But whenever, whenever somebody's put that on, I've always said, so what does that represent? And they never know because it just, it just sounds right that you go into this, you know, feeling of threatened, then you feel as though you can't affect anything. Then you feel as though then then suddenly you become enthusiastic about it again, <laughs> and, and you end up on the other side. So, in in fairness, the studies that all that was based on was based on a study around people being told they were going to die. Yeah, I, I know. It was I know not to do with. 
organizational change at all and it's been adopted by the community and it's been adopted for the reasons that I said that it gives a sense of control because if you believe that if you believe people are going to go through that then when somebody is resisting the change you can just tell yourself well they're there on the graph so I can ignore that now I do think there's legitimacy in that people have an emotional response to change and people vary in their degrees of how stressful they find it but overly simplistic tools like that applied badly do so much damage I think well, I have to say, even if nobody watches this video, <laughs> I have to say, that, and you know, we're really lucky to have some great guests on here, aren't we, Stan? But yeah, we are. That, that whole 40 minutes has been a great 40 minutes for my week this week. Well, it has me. It really has. It's... What you should do, Frank, is read... The... Just have it here. He always gets this out. And can I just tell you, they cover this on this Masters. Yeah, That's why I think you would love it. <laughs> and Stanley can be my Christmas present if you were thinking of getting me one. You should see how much it costs, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> can you get it it's on Kindle? 40 quid, I think, for a <laughs> um, But it's been brilliant again. Lucy, thank you so much. And obviously, if anybody's watching this who wants to know more about Lucy's work, there's a, a website there, isn't there? Yeah, trumanchange.co.uk. We've got a really good tool on it, actually, which you can um, just go in, answer a few questions about your organisation. It will kick out a PDF report that will give you some scoring on how ready for change you are and some help and advice on what you might want to consider. Uh, but, yeah, do feel free to get in touch. It won't be me because I'm a student. I've retired now. <laughs> One of my team will help. It's like Shirley Valentine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Lucy. And uh, no oh, doubt we'll have you on again as a guest in 2023 to beat Mike, to be the first person. Oh, bring him too. We'll do a joint one oh, again. Oh, right. Yeah, cool. okay. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you, Stan, as well. well so, thank you. Uh, Thanks, Lucy. All being well, we'll see everybody uh, next week. And thank you for watching and for listening.